Let's pray. God, I want to thank you for another chance to worship you. God, we should be taking every advantage as we can um, every day to spend time in prayer and uh, worshiping you. But God, I'm just thankful that we get a chance to do that freely. Right now, God, I ask that you are with us during this time. Help us to see uh, your presence, your protection, and your provision. God, we love you. And we pray. Amen. All right. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, Thank you for joining us online. If for some reason you don't know who I am, maybe you're visiting. Uh, My name is Jake Pertleball. I'm the executive minister here at South Union Christian Church, and I get a chance to uh, bring the message this morning. Um, Before we jump into things, I want to give a little bit of an announcement of kind of uh, how things are looking over the next couple weeks. Um, If you haven't seen already, we are excited about relaunching our in-person services on June 7th. And so it's going to look a little bit different than normal here for South Union Christian Church. Uh, We are a hugging and handshaking type of church, and so it's going to look a little bit different, uh, but we're going to do our best uh, with setting up some uh, responsible safety as people are social distancing and things like that. But please be watching the Facebook page and the website as we have more information coming out about that over the next several days. Uh, This morning, as I jump into the message, I want to focus on two different passages of Scripture. We're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 6, and we're also going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. And so let's go ahead and just jump right right into that. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. If you think about it, this is a really strange passage in a sense. How do we look at things that are not seen? How do we see the unseen? As we think about that a little bit, I'm going to switch gears a little bit and jump into 2 Kings, and we're going to take what we heard from 2 Corinthians, and we're going to look at 2 Kings and see what we can find out about this story. Again, we're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 15 through 23. So if you have your Bible, your Bible app, you can go ahead and open that up at home and take a look at this with me. The kingdom of Israel is at war with the kingdom of Aram at this point. All right. And so the kings of the king of Israel always knows where the kingdom of Aram and their armies are going to be before uh, even sometimes Aram even knows where they are. And they're really getting irritated at this, at this point. Aram is really frustrated uh, because they're trying to take over Israel. They're trying to raid the villages and, and defeat these people. But every single time they show up in a place, the Israelite army is always there. And they can't figure this out. And so the king of Aram is convinced at this point that there has to be a spy within his ranks. There's no other explanation. But really what's happening is God is actually talking to the prophet Elisha. And Elisha is feeding inside information to the king of Israel. And at this point, this is how they know where Aram is going to be. And so Elisha is hiding at this point in kind of a home. And the king of Aram says, you know what I'm going to do? We're just going to find Elisha. We're going to capture him. We're going to cut off the information source. And so he sends some of his army to Elisha's home, or this home that he's hiding in at least. And at this moment, they, they surround the house, and Elisha and his servant are in the home. They're unaware they're there. And Elisha's servant opens up the window, and he sees the house completely surrounded. 
And he automatically, he begins to panic and he freaks out and he says, oh my Lord, what shall we do? Now we might expect at this point that Elisha has some really cool undercover escape. Uh, but instead he looks at his servant and, and he looks at him calmly and he, and he replies, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Elisha's servant is completely confused at this point. I can imagine there's almost this double take where um, Elisha's servant is looking out the window and he sees the armies of Aram and he looks back at Elisha and thinks just what Elisha said and he looks back out the window and he says, you must be seeing something that I'm not seeing. He's confused at this point. And again, I can almost imagine Elisha with this kind of this sideways grin, this smirk of sorts, and he prays, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. God answers Elisha's prayer. And Elisha's servant is able to look out the window and he sees all across the hillside the angels of God. And it's not just the angels, it's, it's horses and chariots of fire completely surrounding the enemy army. And at this moment, Elisha's servant understands why Elisha's so calm, why he's so cool and collected at this point. At this moment, the armies of Aram begin to um, come to the house and begin to advance towards the house. And Elisha prays again, Lord, strike the army with blindness. This happens in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 18. And again, God answers Elisha's prayer. He strikes the enemy blind. And at this point, I think Elisha's probably pretty confident. I mean, he, he knows uh, God's army's on their side. Uh, he asked God to blind the enemy, and they, he did that. And so Elisha actually walks out of the house into the middle of the army. And because they can't see him, they're so, they're so blind, he convinces them that they've come to the wrong house. And then he convinces them that he will guide them to where they need to go. And so without much other choice, because they can't see, the army of Aram decides to listen to Elisha, and they follow him. And Elisha takes them to a neighboring city of Samaria, who is also at war with Aram, and they walk straight downtown of Samaria, and they are then surrounded by the army of Samaria. And then God says, let them see. Let them open their eyes so they can see. As their vision returns, the armies of Aram notice where they are, and they realize they've been tricked, and they realize they can't win this battle. Now, the king of Samaria is, is kind of arrogant, and he's asked Elisha, shall I kill them all? And Elisha replies in 2 Kings chapter 6, 22 and 23, do not kill them. Would you kill those who, who you have captured with your own sword or bow? Instead, set food and water before them so that they may eat and drink and then go back to their master. So that's what they did. They prepared a great feast for them, and after they had finished eating and drinking, he sent them away, and they returned to their master. After this, the army of Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. Now, that's quite a story if you think about it. The Bible's full of amazing events that happened, but this one's a pretty interesting story. Of course, the question is, is what can we learn from it? Now, if we, if we kind of look back at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18, and we look at this passage, what can we learn? Now, the key theme in this passage and this story is the ability to see, right? 
I mean, Elisha's servant can't see anything but the army of Aram until Elisha prays for his sight to be able to see God's army. And then when the, uh, the armies of Aram begin to advance on the house, Elisha prays that they are struck with blindness so they can no longer see. And then a little bit later, they get to Samaria, and Elisha prays that they can see again, and they see that they've lost. Sight is extremely important in this story. It raises the question, what are we seeing right now? Or better yet, are we focusing on only what we see, or are we looking to what is unseen, as 2 Corinthians talks about? Because what is unseen is eternal. Let me uh, divide this up into three parts here in this passage. The first thing I think that is always present it is always there, but is unseen for a little bit, at least to Elisha's servant, is God's presence. See, when Elisha's servant looked outside, all he saw were the enemy soldiers surrounding them on all sides. He's immediately uh, panic-stricken and afraid. But when Elisha prayed his prayer to open his eyes, he suddenly realized that God's army was all around them. The Bible tells us that God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. David recognizes this when he wrote Psalm 139, verses 7 and 8. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. Then in Matthew 28, verse 20, Jesus says, I am the way, and I am always with you, excuse me, I am always with you to the very end of the age. That's a promise he gives at the end of the Great Commission. God is always with us. We can't escape his presence, nor should we want to. But like Elisha's servant, oftentimes we have a hard time seeing God's presence, especially in the midst of trouble. We don't always recognize it. We don't always uh, seek it out, even. So how do we learn to recognize God's presence? Well, i got three little sub-points under this one. And uh, it's pretty quick. Number one, we need to start with prayer, just like Elisha did. Uh, God, please open my eyes so that I can see your presence. I can feel your presence. I know that you're there. That's the first thing. Uh, number two is we need to worship. We can worship together when we are together as a corporate body in the building, but we also can worship at home, alone, or with our families. But worship is a way that we can sense God's presence. And lastly, and most importantly, it's through Jesus Christ through our study of the Gospels and, and seeing Jesus' life and how he was so focused on the Father. See, Jesus is the visible image of an invisible God. That's in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Jesus is the lens through which we see God. And as we read through these Gospels and as we read through the New Testament and we see what the apostles are doing, we begin to have a fuller picture of who Jesus is, and through that we have a fuller picture of who God is. That's how we sense his presence. That's how we uh, get a hold of his presence. Oftentimes, um, we lose focus of God. As Christians, I think we're told all the time, well, God's always there, he's always with us, he's always going to be with us, and we know that, like it's in our brain, we get it, but we don't, we will often forget it, I guess. We, we don't always remember it the way we need to or when we need to. And for instance, when things are difficult in life, 
uh, right now during this pandemic. It's, it's been crazy these last several weeks, these few months. And I know we talk about it all the time, but uh, this, uh, what's going on in our world has obscured our view. And it's kind of gotten our way of seeing God and sensing his presence. We need to spend time in prayer and worship and studying the life of Jesus Christ so that we can sense God's presence more clearly. The second thing that I think is unseen that we need to understand is God's protection. The Bible tells us in Psalm 34, verse 7, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. The word fear in this passage doesn't mean to be afraid or to cower away. It actually means to respect and to honor. So this verse could easily say, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who honor him. He delivers them. That's just what Elisha's servant saw when he peered out the window. God lifted the veil between the earthly realm and only seeing the army of Aram to the spiritual realm where he's able to see all of God's army surrounding them. And in that moment, he feels God's protection. Jesus also mentions God's angel army. See, when Peter draws his sword in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 53, he draws a sword to um, prevent the soldiers from arresting Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus rebukes Peter and he says, Don't you realize that I could ask my father for 12 legions of angels to protect us? He would send them instantly. By the way, 12 legions is about 72,000 angels. That's a lot of angels. Jesus, of course, didn't need protection because he knew it was God's will that he would go to the cross. Ultimately, he would die, be buried, but he would raise from the dead. But there are times, oftentimes, that we need protecting. We are um, uncertain about the, the times we live in right now, and things are a little off. They're a little scary even at times, confusing. We need to feel God's protection along with his presence. We need to know and see that God's angel armies are surrounding us, and he is lifting us up, protecting us, reminding us that God is mightier than any enemy we face. Often throughout the Old Testament, God is compared to a strong tower or a mighty fortress. When the Israelites uh, took refuge in um, Solomon's fortress or the Tower of David, the enemies didn't just pack up and give up and say, oh, well, they're behind some walls now. We can't do anything else. We might as well just give up. No, they kept attacking. They kept fighting. But see, at this point, Israel's army could fight back from a position of strength. They could fight from within the mighty walls. They could even go up into the tower and have a different perspective on the battle. And they could fight from a position of strength. When we turn to God in times of trouble, our problems don't just go away. They still keep coming at us, and sometimes it feels like they're coming at us even more. But we can face those problems from a position of strength within God's mighty fortress, from God's perspective. As children of God, we can rest on knowing that no matter what hardships we face, God is our shelter. He's our strong tower. He's our protector. Finally, in addition to God's presence and his protection, we need to see the unseen 
provision that God has for us. Provision, re- referring to how God provides us his plans. See, you cannot read 2 Kings chapter 6 without really getting a strong sense of God's provision here. As the sequence of really unusual events kind of start to unfold and the armies are seen and the angel armies are seen and they're struck with blindness and all these things begin to happen, you see how this is all part of God's plan. It has to be. And even though we may not see it or understand it, even right now, what we're going through is part of God's plan. And I know that's confusing sometimes. We might even question that, but God's plan is continuing. God is using this. Plans are a funny thing, if you think about it. I would like for you right now to think of if you've had one plan that's had to change in the last few weeks. I'm guessing yes. In fact, I think if this pandemic would have never happened in a span of a week you would have probably had a plan that would change. But right now, we've had schools were canceled, businesses were closed, the church building was closed, graduations, proms, uh, final projects. All these type of things have changed or been canceled. Plans are funny. See, the really funny thing is, is most of the time when we make plans... We aren't even the ones that control the outcome. So many times plans get changed without us even wanting them to change, and we can't even control it. Sure, we do our best to try to make them happen and try to look at every single possible scenario so things work out the way we want them to, but our world, our lives, are dictated by things out of our control so often. See, just when you think uh, you've got life figured out, It throws a monkey wrench into your plans and just messes everything up. So whether it's a consequence of something we've done or just a coincidence that plans change, the big thing to understand is God is still in control. And again, that's one of those things that as Christians we know. We know God is in control, but we struggle to really know it in our heart. And to really let it sink in. Often, um, the reason why life doesn't go according to plans sometimes is um, our plans are not God's plans too often. And God's plans supersedes our plans. James knows all about this in the New Testament. He's writing to the Christians that are scattered across the Roman Empire. They're dealing with persecution, dealing with all kinds of things. But he writes this in James chapter 4, verse 13 to 16. Now listen, you who say, Today, tomorrow, we're going to go to this city or to that city, spend a year there, carry on business, make some money. Why? James asks. You don't even know what tomorrow, what's going to happen tomorrow. What is your life anyway? You are but a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or do that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes, and all such boasting is evil. 
<clears throat> plans can be good, but when they begin to control our life and everything we do is shaped around our plans, we become focused on accomplishing them for us and we lose sight of God. So when we need to focus on God's provision, on his plan, it's difficult to do that when we're so focused on our own. And what's happened over these last several weeks is the pause button has been pushed on our life. Things have slowed down to a crawl. And even though we're in this process of beginning to reopen, which is, which is great, and we're looking forward to that, it's still different. Life looks different. Our plans have changed. But God is in control. I love this verse in Proverbs verse 19, or 19, verse 21. You can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. See, the best thing we can do by looking to the future and when life doesn't go according to plan is let God be God. Align our life with his plans instead of trying to fit God into our plans. See, right now it feels like the world has gone pretty crazy. Uh, there's a lot of confusion still, even with the reopening. The pandemic certainly wasn't part of my plan. I don't think it was part of yours either. And even though we're not able to see right now how it fits into God's plan ultimately, we can trust that it does. And this is why I know this. God's always in control, and don't miss this last part. His plans never stopped. They never stopped. This crisis did not mess God up. It didn't ruin his plans. It didn't cancel anything for him. His plan of sharing the gospel and getting it out is still moving forward. There are stories all across the country where churches, large and small, have reached thousands of people through their online messages in a way they've never done it before. It's even true for us here at South Union. We've had an amazing outreach through our online sermons, our online worship services. God's plan never stopped. So even though it's hard to see, we need to focus on the unseen, the eternal. And that's God's presence, his protection, and his provision. As I wrap up here, when Elisha's servant first looked out the window that morning, he couldn't see God's presence, protection, or provision. He panicked. All he could see was the issue at hand, the, the, the problem. That's all he could focus on. He was terrified at the unknown. Can you relate to that at all over these last few weeks? Panicked a little bit, been a little uneasy. In this climate of fear, we need to learn to look not at things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. Like Elisha, we need to uh, see God's presence, his protection, his provision. We need to spend time in prayer. We need to ask God, Lord, open my eyes so that I can see you right now. I know you're always there. I know you're constantly present. I know you're protecting me always. I know you're providing and you've got a plan. I know you do, but I need to see you just a little bit. I need a glimpse of it. I need to have some sort of understanding. 
and not just in the midst of this pandemic, but any time we need to stop and pause and ask God for that sight to see the eternal. We need to pray for our friends and our families, for the people across this country, across the globe, for comfort, for courage, for hope, for whatever life may throw at them, that they look to God. We come to the part of our service where we want to focus on the Lord's Supper, a time of communion. And this is, I say this every time I preach, but this is my favorite time of the service, and it really is because everything we do before communion is building up to that. Everything we do after communion is a response from communion. This is why we do church. It's for this memorial meal in Jesus' name. This is why we do it. The bread representing the body of Christ that was broken and the juice representing the blood that was shed for our sins. It's an amazing remembrance that's confusing the people outside of the church. But if they only take a moment to let us explain a little bit, I hope they get it. If you're at home and and you are thinking about what it means to become a Christian and you are wondering about it, please do not let the pandemic slow you down from making a decision for Christ. I ask that you seek out someone, a friend, a family member that's a Christian and can lead you down that path. And if you don't have that, please contact us here. Get a hold of the church. A staff member will talk to you. We'll walk through this with you. Don't put this on hold. This is too big of a deal. My prayer is that this week and right now through this time of communion, that you will ask God to see his presence his protection, and his provision.